When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome, everyone. It is Ben Meyerson here from Tomahawk Nation. Starting off the pod today, um, Brian Pellerin is here. He is on the podcast. You will hear his voice soon, but he is serving a 10-minute suspension as LSU not only lost by more than 10, they lost by three touchdowns last night, which which I'm sure Brian is just thrilled about. Uh, if, if you guys don't know, he is an LSU grad. He did a uh, report there in Baton Rouge as well. So uh, I, I'm sure these next 10 minutes are are, are just going to be great for him, having to, to listen to all the Florida State uh, nonsense from me and John. And joining me, as always, today is John Marchant. Uh, John, welcome. How are you feeling this morning? What What's running through your mind? That's a beautiful day. <laughs> well, everything's running through my mind, man. That, that was unbelievable. It was, I mean, some of us thought it had a chance to happen, uh, but to watch them out, go out there and do it with, you know, such physicality, it was just, uh, it, it was almost like 2013 Clemson. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the thing that, that popped into a lot of Seminoles fans' minds is, is this is, you know, something that I think we all, thought was possible but it is it was always something we all wanted to see happen before we really believed it could happen and last night we saw it happen uh for 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 those who maybe missed it i i don't know how you could but florida state won 45 uh to 21 was was that the official end or 24 sorry um a, a three touchdown lead for the seminoles really should have been a four touchdown lead if not for some freshman dbs playing towards the end of the game um Overall, a a fantastic night for the Seminoles winning a top 10 matchup like that. Not not only winning by three touchdowns, John, but but winning in the fashion they did. You already mentioned it, the physicality they brought up front. You know, the SEC, supposedly the line of scrimmage conference. I I don't know if that's true anymore, John. I I think Florida State went in and uh, showed uh showed that they can not only win at the line of scrimmage but that they can dominate and win the game at the line of scrimmage yeah that's 100 correct i mean look i'd give all the props in the world to lsu's makai wingo that guy was unbelievable absolutely ridiculous nearly unblockable all night long uh you know and and, and it did force fc to make some adjustments to to get around him but yeah other than that man yeah florida state dominated the line scrimmage on both sides of the ball right and i know we're going to get into it a lot of players we can point out specifically uh first shout out right is going to go to to joshua farmer absolutely unbelievable last night they just it's what we've been wanting to see for several years right i mean those those lines of scrimmage fsu controlled all last night is much better immediately from the first snap than anything we saw last year Right. And it's just an unbelievable job. Braden Fisk was was really, really good. Right. The transfer from Western Michigan, uh, you know, Patrick Payton played well. 
a verse was in there, right? We didn't even hear that much from Lovett, and he he was the big guy that that returned stuff. So, and then the offensive line, right? I, I think Chris Fowler pointed out at the beginning of the the broadcast. FSU by far returns the most re, uh, returning production out of their offensive line than anyone in the country, and it showed, right? So, you know, the depth is there. Uh, the you know they got some talent now, and it was just unbelievable to watch. Yeah, and, and specifically, you know, you mentioned that Florida State has the most veteran offensive line in college football. 215 combined starts from the starting five group. Um, and that's not even talking about the backups, right? Which is, I mean, you know, this offensive line group is not just experienced, but they're extremely deep. And I think, you know, at least for me, my biggest concern coming out of last year for this team was that they lacked some of that depth. And, and that's where we saw some of that fall off happen. Um and, and, and now you see how dominant they were along that line of scrimmage. I, I think that's really what impressed me the most. Um, but also, John, uh, personally, you know, in, in terms of me being a fan of football, I love wide receivers and there was <laughs> no better performance and, and, and no better show than Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. I, I, I think, I mean, first off, well, let's start off with Keon Coleman. Uh, the transfer from Michigan State comes in, has a three-touchdown performance, uh, scored the first touchdown of the game. I I just can't say enough good things about Keon Coleman. I, I mean, truly, you know, I, I think he's like, it's like one of those guys that, you know, you, you say all the adage about him, right? Plays above the rim, plays like a basketball player, possession receipt, like, you know, all these sorts of phrases that we like to use. Last night, he embodied that. And, I, you know, I, I think as we get really, really excited for the rest of the year for Florida State, uh, I think the big difference between last year's team and this year's team, especially on offense, is that they went from having very good receivers to potentially having one of the best, if not the best one-two punch in the country. Now, I know Ohio State fans might might gripe with that. And you know what? They might be right, but but Keon Coleman, man, he put on a show last night. Yeah, I look, Keon Coleman, I think before the game, right, uh, on Topic Nation, you know, we asked the question, who, which players off this team will have the best NFL uh, careers? And my first answer besides verse was Keon Coleman. He already looks the part, right? Six foot three, six foot four, uh, over 200 pounds. Uh, you know, he, he plays when he wants to much smaller than his size, right? He can, he can play in space. Like he juked the safety out for his first touchdown, uh, but also those contested catches. Right. And the thing that impressed me the most about Keon Coleman on one of his touchdowns is so a lot of college receivers will push off, right? They'll let the DB get into their body. Right. And some of these receivers don't learn this particular technique until they're in the league for a year or two, but extending the hands right before the receiver gets into your body. So you're not the, you know, the refs never see you push off because you don't push off. You keep those hands extended before the DB can get into your body. You hold them there and then you wait for the ball and then you high point it and come down with it. He did that at least twice. I think last night from what I saw Keon Coleman, he already looks like a polished NFL receiver. Uh, I thought maybe he could go, you know, first or second round. He played like a first round pick last night uh, easily. So, you know, and that was a, a matchup that FSU obviously liked. They went to it time and time again against LSU, um, and it worked out in their favor. Coleman was just – and there were some few issues, right? And I know on Travis's pick, there might have been some miscommunication with Keon, and uh, I, I think on another play, maybe the the blocking he missed. But for the most part, I'd say i give Keon Coleman an A-plus for last night. He was unbelievable. 
yeah, I, I think Keon came in and he's everything you wanted and expected out of him. Um, he, he was just so dominant in, in the red zone. And I, I, I think, you know, the, to me, the biggest thing coming out of this game in terms of the offensive performance and, you know, we'll dive fully into, you know, the first half, the second half, the difference we saw, the adjustments they made. But but specifically, John, I, I, this team presents a math problem that defenses and defensive coordinators just cannot solve. You cannot double Johnny Wilson. You cannot double Keon Coleman because, you know, if you double one, then you're going to leave the other on an island. Um, and, you know, even beyond that, too, just in the running game, we already knew Jordan Travis, uh, the threat he brings, how much he affects the running game. And, and I think when you bring in those two receivers who are that dominant in, in man-to-man coverage and you add that to what Jordan Travis in this running game already presents as a threat. I, I, you know, I, I think my, my question, you know, maybe coming into this game is, okay, what are Florida state's um, easy things going to be that they can do on offense? What are they going to do well over and over and how are defenses going to respond to that? John, I truly don't know what defenses can do schematically to respond to Florida state besides bringing some really good football players. You know, I, I, I think truly when, when you look at the matchup problems that Jordan Travis, the running game creates and these two receivers create, there just isn't an easy answer on defense for this offense. Right. I, I 100% agree with you. And it, it's not just a math problem, right? But, but to be – one thing I love about Norvell's scheme is he likes to keep the game of football simple, right? He he challenges his team to be more physical than the opponent, but it does come down to a math, right? So if you have two receivers out out wide to the right, you know, usually defense is going to have three defensive backs on, on top of them, right? If you have if you have one receiver out, they're going to have two defensive backs, usually corner and safety. Um, but a lot of that comes to the same thing down in the box, right? And so to your point, you know, you have uh Trey Benson, right? He's one of the best running backs in the country. And I See, I think it's not just the addition of Coleman, right, or the other receivers like Winston Wright, and, and you know, I know Deuce Band played a lot last last night, but it's also the tight ends. The key is really the tight ends. Kyle Morlock, Jaheen Bell, it creates this matchup issue for other opponents that it's it's not just math, it's also personnel, right? And so in the second half of the game, FSU did go a lot towards more of a 12 personnel, right? One running back, two tight end. Uh, kind of, you know, those formations. And there's one series I want to point out happened really in the game, right? So Travis came out under center, right? They're running, um, uh, looks like twins formation with uh, Morlock as the H back, right? And they run the play out of that. They run counter, right? The very next play, they hurry up. They go straight into a five wide empty set using the same personnel, right? So LSU doesn't get a chance to substitute same personnel. You're going now from an under center look to five wide empty. And then the very next play, you do the same thing. You go back to under center with the kind of twins look, and then you do play action off the same counter action and throw the ball. Right. So, it, it the versatility that it allows Norvell to have between formations and personnel and all this other stuff is going to create matchup nightmares for every opponent on the schedule, especially and we'll get into this, what they did in the second half. They LSU had no answer for Norvell's adjustments that he made after halftime with the split back shotgun, which I know we're going to get into because I'd love to talk about it. Uh, but it's just an unbelievable job. Say it, John. I, you know, Say it, John. Mike Norvell owns Brian Kelly. He owns him. <laughs> he does. Okay, he owns him. In 2021, the <laughs> roster was much worse. 
<laughs> much worse. Tell me that Notre Dame team had any business playing at FSU's level. None at all. Norvell damn near beat them. Last year should have blown them out. Schematically, <laughs> absolutely did. Yeah, hundred percent. If they can execute a pitch, you win by two or three scores in that one. And then absolutely last night, he, he killed him. He killed yeah. him. He he sunned Brian Kelly. They went into halftime and he came out and he said, "I'm your dad. Sorry, go home." Brian Kelly, <laughs> welcome to Mike Norvell's family. See you for Christmas dinner. And look, guys, again, I served a 10-minute suspension because I picked LSU. Okay, right? That's, that's what this was for. But it, it, as the week went on, I kind of started mentioning the path for the Florida State blowout was there. I, and I saw it more clearly. If you listen to Sharpen the Point, that's the new uh, DFS and Picks pod released each Friday with yours truly, my friend Chris Tindall. You could hear the change of heart. I, I, I was talking about I didn't see a path for LSU to blow out Florida State. And the path for Florida State to do it was there. And, and it's everything you guys just talked about. The defensive front, the receiving core, and, and John, what you were just talking about, the ability to play in completely different styles from snap to snap. And, and I thought it was pretty clear first possession that Florida State had the edge and, and to me, would still win, um, despite what our mentions look like at halftime. If you were curious, I was running the Twitter account and got to deal with that all night. But I mean, LSU comes right out, huge play right off the bat. They got first and goal like 30 seconds into the game. And at the goal line, they had seven plays, and they threw it like five of them. Florida State was dominant up front. LSU had not a chance to run the ball, and they brought back all five offensive linemen. Their team captains the left tackle, and they needed to put running backs and tight ends on verse all night. They had nothing. They had nothing. That's a top 10 front, and verse killed them. Fisk killed them. Peyton killed them. They had nothing, not a thing. And then you guys talked receivers. Keon Coleman was a menace. I mean, again, we talked about it a ton. We've been saying it all offseason, though. They need a guy, right? Like, they need the move the chains guy. Um, good Lord, Johnny Wilson looks like the move the chains guy because Keon Coleman looks like an NFL receiver week one. And I get it. It's game one. It's 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 play one. Uh, and it's hard to be like, hey, that dude is an NFL player. But, John, you said it before. He looks the part. And you saw it. He made guys miss. He can play small. He can take a slant and house it for 40. And then he just says, hey, just throw me one. I'll just take it in the corner of the end zone. Or watch me run this beautiful fade to the corner for my third touchdown. Johnny had drops, and, and people were, were mad at him throughout the first half. But, I mean, I think it was four or five times throughout the game that I'm looking at my notes here. He he was moving the chains on third and six, third and seven, third and eight. And it's, what do you do with that? I, I don't know what you do with that. And, and again, LSU is, is bad, played fairly okay for the first half and you just owned them in the second half jaheem bells flashed what makes him a weapon and and my biggest takeaway before i ended putting the thing back as i entered a rodeo bull straight into this thing but mike norvell just freaking gets it man that dude gets it like they went in a half he pulled the whole team together to 25 before they went to the locker room and he just was going nuts in the middle of the thing and he talked about it post game that he just felt like they had emotion but the wrong kind he wants them to be emotional and they just weren't there but then, like, after the game, he's talking about everyone wants to win. But, like, at Florida State, the extra pressure he puts on himself to make sure that it looks the way it should, the dude gets it. If you're sitting there and you have a doubt about Mike Norvell at this point, I don't know I don't, I don't know what to tell you. The guy understands what the job is at Florida State, and, boy, did he just deliver. It's an an absolute embarrassment for LSU, and Mike Norvell just got to sit at the podium smiling like the Grinch the whole postgame. It was wonderful. 
Yeah. I mean, you made some excellent points there. I, I want to circle back to, to one of those specifically because I was looking this up as you were going. Johnny Wilson, seven catches, six first downs. I, unreal. I, yeah, unreal. Absolutely unreal. And yeah, he is he is inconsistent. And, and personally, I've got on him a lot about that, too, because he makes some of those easy plays more difficult than they have to be. I mean, he had a nine percent drop rate last year. That's just not good enough. But but Keon Coleman, I mean, you're talking about him as as NFL. Like I I I think he established himself as a top fifteen pick last night. I I genuinely think he's going to be a top fifteen pick. He might even surpass Marvin Harrison Jr. by the end of the year. I know that's a tall task. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it is within the realm of possibility now, just based off that one performance. And I mean, anyone who had seen Keon play before this knew what kind of football player he was, but he put it all together on Sunday night in a dominant fashion. It was so funny. He got at Norvell got asked or, or Keon got asked about like playing against his home state team. And he originally said, no, it didn't really mean anything. And then he followed up later with like, yeah, it added salt to the wound. Um, but like, as the question started, I tweeted this out again on the Tomahawk Nation account. You could see Norvell, like, like the corners of his mouth just slowly start to creep out. And it was just like, you could feel like, yeah, we stole him. Yeah, we just took him. Like, we took him. Yeah, all of you on Twitter who were like, oh, he's an old Miss lock, or oh, he'll go back to LSU because that's down the road. No, 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 no. He, he's going to go down as a stud, and we have a stud. We have a potential All-American at receiver, and we took him from you. And he showed you in game one, sorry, that's our guy. If if Deion Sanders doesn't want to be a Noel Keon Coleman made it clear, he is. Yeah, I mean, he, he did, and, and I mean... You know, it's it goes back to exactly what what Norvell said last night and what you kind of alluded to there, Brian, and in, in, in your last few statements that it's not just what they did, it's how they did it. Right. It, winning in the fashion that they did. Um, in one point, I, I specifically want to ask you about, John, is we know Mike Norvell's excellent at opening scripts. We saw that last night. We saw that first drive. It was masterful from him. But the adjustments that this team made. After, you know, that that first quarter and a half, uh, the last six possessions that they had on offense, minus that last one where they needed out, they scored on all six possessions from about the six minute mark on in the second quarter. I, I, I just with an offense like that against a very good defense and a very talented football team, I, I, I I'm just struggling, you know, to, to see how defenses come up with solutions to the problems that this offense creates. And I know I already mentioned that before, but, but, but truly like when we're looking at, you know, the big picture with Florida state this season, how this season plays out for them, where they eventually go. And, and I'm sure, you know, we'll get to the end of the pod. We'll probably talk about big picture a little more, but I, I just don't know what, what defenses can do to, to answer the problems that Keon, Johnny, Jordan, Trey Benson, and Mike Norvell showed last night. I, I mean, Mike Norvell just had some masterful adjustments from, from that second quarter on. Well, right. It's not just, it's not just the adjustments too, which he's, you know, excellent at his play calling last night was just, I mean, what did they say? He's in his back, right? Norvell, <laughs> I, I look, and there's some calls I did. I disagreed with and, and I didn't love. Right. But, but that one, the two in particular stood out to me that fourth down, right. Where he basically reads Perkins 
And if Perkins comes down, he throws it, which is what happened. Or if Perkins stays home, he hands it off for runs, right? And, you know, Perkins comes flying right down. He tosses it right over his head to Tofili. Tofili ends up going for like 40, 45 yards, right? I think down to the one. Then the other one was third and eight, I think, is you know, in the second half. And they the same counter they've been running the whole third quarter, but they do it this time with Travis. He pulls Travis, you know, on a keeper runs behind the two guys, third and eight on a QB run. And it easily gets the first down. Those two are my favorite play calls of the whole night. Uh, but, but the adjustments specifically, right. To answer your question. So this is, I, look, we're going to have an article about this. So I don't want to get too, too, you know, detailed or in depth about it, but what was very, very fun is in the first half, they struggled to run, right. The one big run that they had in the first quarter uh, on their first drive they ran away from uh, Makai Wingo, right? They ran a counter away from him. And he, every time they ran toward him, which is what they did most of the first half, didn't go anywhere. So in the second half, um, you know, we only saw the split back formation uh, shotgun once in the third quarter. And then we saw it a ton in the fourth quarter when FSU ran away. And it was very, very simple. What they ended up doing was they, the split back, they had Bell. And they basically used Bell as the lead blocker, right? And then they had Morlock as the backside H back, and then the you know the backside right guard, and they're basically and that's the side wing goes on. So they basically ran counter away from him, but the split back allowed you to use Bell as a late blocker. So essentially, what you're doing is you're just instead of two blockers, right, guard tackle, you're now using the tight end Bell, right, who's 6'3", 240, as another blocker, and then you're just out gapping them on the other side. It was very simple, but. Norvell will do these little changes. It gives you a better position, you know, puts his players in a better position to win, but he still challenges his team to be physical at the point of attack. I'll do a little bit to help you, but you're going to mash them up front. And they did. And this team, the physics, it wasn't just that they beat LSU on both lines of scrimmage. They were more physical than LSU. They ran them over like Rodney Hill, Jaheim Bell, both ran guys over right at the end of that game. And then the other thing too about, about Norvell's adjustments, right? So they're running those, those bubble screens all night long. And most of the time it didn't work a few times it did, but then what happened in the second half when Norvell pulls out his counter to that play, right? Bell, like they had all night long was out there like he was going to block, except he didn't. He slips out behind the defense, and he runs in for a touchdown. And Bell, again, at 6'3", 240, unbelievably athletic for his size, right? Just the way that they're using him. And I wrote this article right when Norvell got hired. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and do this. When Norvell got hired, I wrote this article about the offense that he brought with him from Memphis, and I love the way he uses tight ends. And I thought right away Norvell was going to bring tight end talent to Tallahassee. It didn't happen. He has that now in Bell and Morlock. You still have Marquez and Douglas, right? And then even Preston Daniels still got a, a couple snaps in there at the end. The talent at tight end now will massively transform this offense and what they're allowed to do. And 12 personnel is going to be a terror for every opponent on the schedule. I, I mean, Clemson now has a few weeks to try to sketch something up to deal with it. I don't know if you're an, another ACC opponent, what you could possibly do to stop this, right? Like you said, you, you still have Kia Coleman and, and Johnny Wilson out right. You could come out in 12 personnel with Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Morlock, and Bell. And you could go from, from a double tight end set in line to splitting one of those guys out, right? You can go wide. You can go five wide empty set. All the same personnel. You can go hurry up like that. I don't know how you possibly defend it. And if you want to say that 12 personnel is the future of football, in general, you know, NFL and college, and the future is now in Tallahassee because that's what Mike Norvell is doing right now, what he did last night. Well, and you mentioned the Bell play. It, the, 
I could see that one developing from the box. It, it was clear. I'm like, if he sees that he has Bell, he's got him. He makes the perfect. He he like almost looked it off and just flipped it to him. I was like, that's a touchdown. He's got him all day. It was it clearly developed pretty simply. Um, the other thing is is Bell's versatility, especially. I think makes it so hard, man, because you saw it around the goal line. Like even if they're in twelve, he might still get the ball, like as if he's a slot receiver and just take a little end around and go. He's a he was. A, I don't want to call him a power back, but you know, a, a goal line type runner around at South Carolina, getting a lot of carries. Um, you can be in the 12 personnel and still have the skills of having almost three receivers or, or having two backs on the field while being in the two tight formations. Right. And I think that's why Norvell's scheme is so much fun, right? I mean, if you could take a guy like Jaheim Bell and just like you said, he runs a jet sweep for a touchdown. But you can <laughs> you can put him in line, which they did early in the game. You can put him as an H-back. You can put him split back in the backfield. You can put him out wide in the slot. Do all these different kinds of things with him and all these different plays. And how do you defend that? How do you even scheme all of that stuff up if you're a defense, right? How, how do you... How do you account for everything that you could possibly do? And it makes it, and that's the, the beauty of it too, is it's more simple for the defense to get it, right? You could run the same handful of plays out of different uh, formations with the same personnel all lined up in different spots. But for the defense, it's a nightmare to try to defend that. And Brian Kelly said it in the post game. He was like, we knew they were going to run it and we knew they were going to get to it. And then they made the adjustments to it. He says, but once they adjusted we couldn't line up against it. It wasn't like we didn't have the guys or we didn't we didn't know it was coming. We just flatly couldn't line up across from it in a way to stop it. If that's what you're hearing from a team with, you know, top five talent, clearly, preseason top five, or, or maybe obviously they'll probably drop here to top 10-ish, but um, if they can't line up across from you, they've had all offseason to prepare for that. What What is Clemson putting together in two weeks to, to be ready to line up against from it? What is Miami going to look You know, what Boston College, I can't expect any of these teams are going to have something that can line up well enough against it. I have to imagine you're getting to the point where maybe if you play Clemson a second time, that's where you start maybe getting concerned with someone lining up against it, maybe Georgia or someone later down the road. But um for the LSU coach to sit there and say, we knew they were going to run it, but I couldn't get my guys to line up in a, I, we couldn't figure out the configuration up front to stop it. That's unbelievable. I mean, you're just, you're playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. Right. And I, again, going back to, to um, Ben's point earlier, it, it, it like that, I mean, that's it. That's the crux of it. They're, they're like, that's the thing about Norvell too, man. It's, it's not just like the Miami thing, right? Last year when they ran counter, you know, 500 million times and Miami couldn't stop it. it. They didn't do that much differently last night. Yes. You know, Norvell makes a little bit of an adjustment, right? But he still ran counter right down their throat the entire second half. They did not do anything different. Like there was a sequence, right? In the second half, they come out right in that split back formation, just like I described earlier. They run counter away from Wingo, right? It goes for like 12 yards of first down. The very next play, same formation, they just flipped it, right? So that the counter, and it's the same play, same formation. All they did was flip it, and they run it right down their throats again for like another eight yards. Like that's, again, then this that's what I meant by Ben's point. That's Norvell, right? He... He will just it's it's not just a statement of of being up four touchdowns, 45-17 by the time garbage time kicks in. It's how he does it, right? He will run it right down your throat doing the same thing and challenge you to stop it, and you can't. And that's a physicality he demands from his team. 
and they deliver, right? Whether it was Bell or Rodney Hill or even Benson, you know, making guys miss. And LSU is a good defensive front. Their defensive line is really good, even without Mason Smith. Like Wingo is unblockable. They had a couple other guys. Um, I think 99 for them flashed a little bit. I think Jefferson, that one other yeah. guy got – yes, uh, what was his name? Start with an S. Um, uh, Smithers, not – not Smithers, haha, hilarious. But <laughs> Saving you know, what I'm talking, yeah, something like that. But they got pressure; they were disruptive. But overall, Florida State, you know, handled them up front, and it just the fashion and the way that it's done, I think, is so special. And I think players respond to that, right? And they know it, and they see that it works. Everyone cries about FSU getting all these guys out of the portal. But how can you not go to Florida State when you see how well they game plan uh, Norvell and Alex Atkins and the play calling and all that other stuff? It's truly special to witness. Ben, I'm curious, how did you – am I crazy for the thought of LSU was very clearly not going to be able to run the ball from the very – maybe the second snap of the game? No, I mean, I I think that's incredibly accurate. I I, I mean, I I think, you know – in, in terms of we've been talking about the offensive line of scrimmage a lot in terms of the Florida State view, but defensively, the Florida State's interior was a plus last night. Uh, mm-hmm. They were a huge part of the reason that LSU just could not get going. I mean, you mentioned the the run game specifically, but I I, I also think just the interior pressure that they were getting, the disruption, the havoc that they were wreaking, uh, there was just. I, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, you're right. There was no way that LSU was going to come up with something that could counter that, that they could use to really get their own run game going. And then I think once you t- took that away and that was totally out of, you know, the, the the possibility for LSU that they could not go to that run game, um, it, it just simplified things for Florida State's defense. And, and I think really the only time that, that Florida State struggled defensively is when they had missed assignments and they got a little excited early in the game and just had some some blown defensive back assignments really early on. And you saw LSU take advantage of that. But then also um, there was a, I think there was a play was either the second or third quarter when Jaden Daniels really underthrew the receiver and AZ Thomas kind of made it back to the ball and got a PBU. It, it, to me, you know, if LSU, LSU they, they couldn't run the ball, but if they they weren't making those plays, the plays that Florida State was making some mistakes on, they were never going to be able to come back in this game. And yeah, they took advantage of some of those early on. But I, I really do feel once Florida State grabbed the baton at the end of that first half and really got rolling and the way they came out in the second half, I, I just don't really know what LSU could have done. The, the I mean, obviously, it's easy to say now the game was over, but in all reality, that's when Florida State stole this game. Yeah, that that point you're talking about is the last play of the third quarter. And if, uh, if I've got my math right here, LSU was only down seven at that point. Yes. Um, Brian Thomas is the guy who scored in the last play. He was open. Um, he had plenty of space on that backside, and Daniels really underthrew him. He, he had that entire sideline by himself that allowed Thomas to get back to that ball. Uh, if he puts that on the money, it's 24-24 heading into the fourth, and we've probably got a completely different ball game. Um, so I do think that's something that Florida State probably needs to clean up. Yep. But at the same time, I mean, that type of stuff happens because LSU pretty much the only offense they had was I, somebody's down there, hopefully they're open, type type chuck it because Daniel's kind of running for his life. I mean, 
they ran the ball 27 times, 15 of them from Daniels. And I am not sure more than three or four of those were called runs. I think they were mostly just running for his life, trying to get a yard or two, just get out of pressure. That one time he got like body slammed over the middle. I don't know what the hell he was trying to do there. Um, <laughs> but I mean, looking at the LSU rushing attack, I mean, and, well, to finish that point, the, the back, the second play was that ended the third. The next play was the interception um, where the receiver slips and, and the game obviously flips on his head from there. And it, it clearly just kind of got away from LSU. It was uh, pin your ears back and go type situation. Um, but I mean, you take those two, two run, big runs from LSU. You had the Jaden Daniels QB keeper, which we showed where you guys were talking about earlier in the group chat and we can go into specifics there if we want, but, uh, FSU kind of had nobody up the middle to start that drive and he just took it and took it 40 yards up the middle. Um, and then the 35 yard carry from, uh, Williams on the, uh, third and long late in the second quarter that set up the field goal for Florida for LSU. That was 75 of their 113 yards. I mean, quick math, that's what, 38? So they were 38 yards on their other 25 carries? I mean, that's not they're not even at two yards a carry. You, you just shut them out, basically. And, and Daniels threw the ball 37 times. Like I said, maybe 12 of these of his 15 carries were him trying to pass and, and weren't even supposed to be run, maybe 10 of them. So, I mean, yeah. they basically just abandoned the run. If you can do that to teams, yeah, you, you do have holes in the secondary here and there. Um, that you will need to fix. And I don't know what our general thoughts on Cypress were in, in game one in an FSU uniform. Um, but man, if you could stop teams from running the ball like that, and you basically say, go ahead and try and take as many shots as you can and beat us that way. Good luck. I, I would take my chances on that on any college football field a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. I mean, uh, LSU is probably what the second or third best, a uh, top three offensive line FSU will face all season. And they, they manhandled him. Yeah. I mean, Daniels is crazy difficult in the open field and he, you knew he was going to get his and he, he did in a few spots last night, but overall they absolutely dominated them up front. Right. I thought Fisk played very well. Like I said earlier, I thought farmer was unbelievable. Just just disruption in the backfield, just whipped them up front. Uh, verse verse played well when he was in there. Petro Payton, they put him in as a wide nine. He he did pretty well. Uh, he whipped their right tackle one play and, and forced Daniels to get rid of the ball faster than he wanted to. Um, overall, I mean, they were just just excellent defensive line play, much better than what I had expected, much better than it was last season, right? And again, LSU is probably one of the handful of the best offensive lines they're going to face all season. So that was really really encouraging stuff uh, last night. Uh, just a wonderful surprise. Uh, and but you know Bethune was good. Kalen Deloach played well. Uh, Lundy, Lundy, man, there's this one play in the second half. I, I can't believe what this staff has done with Lundy. I mean, he's a far, far cry from the player he was under Willie Taggart, right? Lundy's down to like 235, right? There's this one play where he comes on a delayed green dog blitz, right? The running back stays in to block and he sees that and he waits, he waits. And then a second he sees that pass rush lane open, he just takes off, flushes Daniels out of the pocket, right? But the other special part of this play is Farmer. Farmer's on the other side of the line. He has his arm all the way extended to the to the offensive lineman, keeping his outside arm free. And he's not really trying. I mean, he's, yeah, walking the, the offensive lineman back, but he's not really pass rushing. He's waiting to see if Daniels will get flushed out of the pocket. He does because of Lundy. So Daniels flushes to his right. Farmer's right there to bring him down for the sack, right? Just unbelievable defensive play line to, to keep, you know, uh, uh, Daniels contained. Right, eliminate him as a threat as a runner. Just incredible stuff. And again, I, you know, we if we want to get into it, I was a little disappointed by the secondary. Uh, you know, 
I guess it did even out, right? They dropped a couple of plays that would have, you know, probably led to scores for them in the second half, especially two of them in the third quarter. Uh, but we also, you know, Johnny Wilson dropped a few plays too, right? Jaheim Bell dropped a first down. So I, overall, the the drops on both sides probably evened out more or less. But um, you know, I was a little disappointed by the secondary. They they were they did play extremely well in the red zone, which LSU got down there the entire game. I feel like the entire first half they played inside Florida State's twenty five yard line. And what was it? They said six trips in the red zone and LSU came down with 17 points. That is unbelievably good. And that is not something the FSU defense did well last year. When opponents got into the red zone last year, they scored touchdowns. This time, the time and time again, three times LSU went forward and fourth down and Florida State held them. I mean, that is unbelievably good defense, right? And, you know, I thought Cypress was a little bit of a disappointment. He was like, a, he seemed to step slow. I don't know if he's just, you know, hurt. Or, or, you know, not playing 100%. So there, there's definitely some things to clean up. There's a lot of mistakes early. I thought there's a lot of ticky-tack calls that the rest were, you know, it was kind of ridiculous, some of the calls that they made. So it was really a little difficult to evaluate the secondary in the first quarter because of all the penalties. Uh, but they really did kind of, you know, and again, I thought they got a little bit more lucky than good in the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, they 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 did shut LSU down. Uh, and again, I going back to the offense, I mean, if this team is going to put up almost 40 points plus against any opponent they face, how how do you keep up, right? If if your best game plan is to is to what? Like that's that's the thing. I would say with these new clock rules, right? Your your best game plan would be to try to shorten the game to give FSU less possessions by running the ball. But if you can't yep. run the ball, what you're going to end up in a shootout anyway. And Florida State's probably going to win that matchup. Yeah, it's going to be impossible to keep up. It's yes, yeah. the math wise, you just don't have enough possessions. You heard Chip Kelly complaining about it this weekend. Like, there's just not enough possessions. If, if FSU is going to score at this efficient of a rate, it's still going to be hard. Yeah. And that's the big thing that I, I wanted to make sure we talked about is, you know, last year's team was defined by the explosive offensive plays. I, I think coming out of this first game, the offensive efficiency is the biggest thing that stands out to me. Nine of 14 on third down. They convert on the one fourth down opportunity that they had. They were excellent in, in, in the red zone. And and I mean, that's a that's a fantastic point you just made, Brian, with with, with the way things are going uh, with, the, with the changes, with the rules, with the clock. I, if Florida State is going to score at the rate that they are, it, it's just going to be incredibly difficult for defenses to to adjust and to to, to have answers to to this offense. But but I, I think to me that's that's the biggest thing that you know I stands out from this first game is is the efficiency from this offense, the, the level of efficiency that they're running at. If they can keep this up for the entire year, this is a national championship offense. What did you guys make of of Jordan's performance? Obviously, three forty two and four. Um, it, it's seventy four percent completion percentage with three drops in there is 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 hard to complain about. He did have the pick, um, then a, kind of the broken screen or what whatever that was, where he really just threw it right at the guy. And then also in the second quarter, he had that from his own end zone. I saw what he was trying to do. He had a guy breaking free, kind of deep, but. It ended up just being a pop-up between the uh I'll call them the LSU second baseman and shortstop that just managed to run into each other instead of catching the pick six that he just kind of while he popped up there. He said he was maybe first game jitters uh to kind of start, but I mean obviously the second half was elite, but you know, just any any concerns with how he started? I think, you know, there were 
I mean, the plays you mentioned, those are really the concerns is, is with Jordan. I I think we've seen him mature a lot as a quarterback, but I think where we need to see him continue to mature is to have that patience in in understanding the big picture of the game. And and I think that's really what concerned me about that one play that that you're talking about in the end zone. I, I think the screen that was intercepted, I, I, I still am not really sure what happened on that. Honestly, I think LSU made a fantastic play right there. And, and Jordan was a little frazzled because of the pressure that LSU was getting. But I, I think that that back of the end zone play in particular, that's the one concerning play that you look at that, you, you know, I'm sure Mike Norvell is telling Jordan afterwards and, and today and for the following days, like, like we had this game in control and that game could have flipped right there on that play. So I, I think you know, am I concerned? Sure, I'm I'm a little concerned, but we've also seen Jordan's maturity evolve constantly as a player. So I, I think for him, you know, that's just a learning opportunity. He's got to learn. He's got to get better from that. He's got to understand, you know, in the moment, in the big picture of these games that you just have to be a little bit more patient. You have to understand where you're at in the game and how your offense and your defense is playing. And um, I, you know, but from that point on, Jordan was just fantastic. Um, I, I want to bring up one specific uh, analytic stat. He had a 24 EPA in total for the game. That's ex- expected points added. So j- that that stat is essentially saying that Jordan himself is responsible for 24 points scored. That's what LSU scored last night. And if you look at that on a per play basis, that's 0.77 EPA per play. That's more than Jaden Daniels had the entire game. So on a per pay play basis, he was he was expecting to score more points than Jaden Daniels did the entire game. I, I I think with Jordan, to me, this is just the right time for him in terms of he's been in this offense for a few years now. He he has these receivers and Johnny Wilson and Keon and Jaheim Bell. And with this running game set up how it is and how dominant they are with the counter and everything that they can do off of that, this offense is built for Jordan Travis and he just has to take full advantage of it. And like I said, be a little more patient and be a little more aware of the big picture and knowing when to take risks and not. Yeah, it was uh, – I mean, I think it was first-game jitters. I think he tried to force some things. Uh, I think LSU could have shown him some stuff to try to confuse him. I think on that pick, I was looking at – I'm wondering because he had uh, Benson move from one side to the other. I think he got confused by – I think LSU did a good job confusing him on which uh, overhang defender was coming. I think Travis thought it was from like the guy at the top of the screen, right? The, the boundary side. I think he thought he was coming. So he had Benson move from his right to his left because Benson was going to come across him with the play action fake, right? And come across to that right side and to block that guy. I thought he thought he was coming. Instead, it's the guy to the field side who came on the blitz. I don't think Travis was expecting that. And then again, I think there was some miscommunication with Keon where, um, like they point out on the broadcast, Travis pumped it like he wanted to throw it instead of just eating the sack at that point then he tried to force it at that point but the lsu defender stepped in front of of keon coleman so and and seeing him talk to travis talk to novell about the play like right before they went to commercial i thought um then again there's some miscommunication between him and him and coleman but i i do think again it was good disguise by lsu about which defender was coming um but you know but that's that's gonna happen you know i thought travis you know lsu is a they're good team right they have a lot of talent there i think their blue chip percentage was 71 percent which is about double of what FSU is. So I thought, you know, they were going to 
get Travis Sinterly's one mistake, but early I really thought it was, um, and that's a real bad mistake you can't make, right? You're, you got the ball the 22-yard line after LSU somehow, even after all last year, <laughs> muffed another punt. you got to put the ball in the end zone in that case. So that was a terrible, terrible turnover by Travis. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it, you know, you could live with something like that, right? You know, one time, and Travis obviously played excellent. I think the real turning point for him was someone else had pointed out in the group chat was um, when he took off and had scrambled on that one run, picked up on whatever it was, like eight yards, and kind of got, you know, he slid and kind of got hit. I think he settled down after that. I think they said he went completed like 12 of his next 13 passes for the rest of the game. So, uh, I, you know, and I remember that too. I, I thought about, remember when uh, – you know, Jimbo Fisher, he would call a run for Jameis. So he'd get hit like early in the first quarter to kind of settle him down. Sometimes I felt like Travis might be like a little bit like that too, right? You need to run him a little bit early, get him hit, and then he kind of settles into the game. So, uh, but I'm not worried about Travis long-term. Uh, you know, again, LSU is a very, very talented, good defense. And, you know, they're, they're going to win a few plays. So He did talk about uh, post-game about the idea of kind of centering himself after the start. So I wonder how much of it was – feeling the need to to step up and be that guy. You know, I'm going to be the Heisman guy. Let me step up and do it instead of just, you know, just let your guys do their thing. Go play the game and and be you. And that you are the Heisman guy because you are you. You don't have to go and be the Heisman guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he really settled in after that and played a great second half. I, I thought maybe his best play of the game was his rushing touchdown where um, I, I think he was, I forget who said it on Twitter, but it was like he had eyes in the back of his head. The defender he read was coming behind him. Well, he, he actually, he, he was reading the defender on the right. That's who he was reading. He, he didn't even read the defender on the left. And he just, yeah, I mean, it just worked out perfectly. In terms it was like Spidey of- senses to, to duck back like he did. Plus, plus the reflexes, man, to pull the ball so smoothly like that without fumbling. And then he, you, because he did it, he just walked in the end zone. I, yeah, I, I don't know how he just senses a guy who's I just is unbelievable stuff from Travis down the stretch. And the only two is he obviously trusts Keon Coleman, right? Oh. Obviously. And he obviously. looked for him in certain situations. And then all of those throws to him were dimes. Yeah. All of them. The uh, the one thing I do want to make sure we mention here, and 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 Ben, I know you you're a big uh, analytics guy, and you brought up the EPA there. Um, I do want to look at QB ratings because Jordan Travis wasn't the best QB rating quarterback in the game. Uh, it also wasn't Jaden Daniels; it was Deuce Vaughn. Uh, one for one, 17 <laughs> yards with the world's longest pass attempt, I believe. I think he ran with the ball in his hands for longer than 45 to 50 seconds before he delivered a pass for that first down. Uh, I <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one, but I, I felt like I couldn't go the whole show without mentioning whatever that was. Yeah, that, that was quite an interesting play. And we've seen a few of those from Norvell here and there. I mean, we saw the LSU game last year as well. Um, and, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the same play that that we see in the NFL quite a bit. And I, so, you know, just a little inside baseball for people. I'm a 49ers fan. I think that's the exact same play that the 49ers ran with Christian McCaffrey last year when he threw a touchdown, except to the other side. And it just didn't work. And then Deuce Span had to run around for his life. Oh, yeah, you might be right. I hadn't thought about that. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, well, and Span did the thing you'd never do is run backwards, you know, <laughs> eight yards. <laughs> uh, you know, it looked, it looked worse than that because of how close he was to the line of scrimmage. But he ran backwards at least eight yards, I think it was. Uh, somehow didn't get tackled. And then – and that's the other two. Because if you if you look at how that play was designed, right, Span gets the ball. And he's looking for Jaheim Bell like, on a streaking, right? And, they, and LSU defended it wonderfully. Johnny Wilson's on the other side of the field blocking 
All right, he was not a intended receiver on that play. Span should just throw it away. Johnny was blocking, but Span somehow comes all the way around the other side, and Johnny has wherewithal to turn around and make himself a receiver. And then Span delivers a great throw, like for a non quarterback I know he played. They they called out he played quarterback in high school, but he is not a quarterback at this level. And he made a wonderful throw for what a fifteen yards, whatever it was, eighteen, well, almost twenty. Was the, was the yeah. Game. So, um, you know. <laughs> It was uh, what someone in my group chat had said was a no, 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 yes, Hall of Fame candidate <laughs> play for the season. That's exactly what I was going to call it. The no, 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 no. Yes, all right. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's the college football play. Nothing in nothing says college football more like no, 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 no. Oh, it worked out great. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, anything else that really stood out from this game um, that we haven't touched on yet? I, I feel like we kind of covered a lot of ground. You mentioned the neighbors, the the Thomas touchdown late was, was I think some young guys just getting some run there. Yeah. And uh, he is, he's very fast and very tall. So. Yeah. A, a few stats I want to point out um, zero sacks for Florida state's offense. I mean, excellent he had clean pockets all night, man. Excellent pass protection. And also on the defensive side of the ball, I know we were kind of critical of this team defensively in the first half. Zero missed tackles in the second half. I, I you know, this this defense, I, I, as as much as we saw the secondary struggle a little bit, they really stepped up to the plate uh, kind of from the end of that second quarter on. Yeah, um, I mean, I thought the safety play for FSU could have been better. I don't know, man. I, again, I think the strength we were right that the strength of this team is the offense. Uh, they put up 45 points, would have put up more if Johnny hadn't dropped a couple of balls. Uh, they Yeah, they probably would have hung half a hundred on LSU if it wasn't for that. Um, yeah, Ryan Fitzgerald did well. Master Mono punted well. Uh, let's see what else. Again, again I, think, I think the offense really flows with Keon Coleman and Jaheim Bell. I think those guys are the focal points of the offense. I think Morlock is, uh, you know – more like it's critical also. I think Toafili is that kind of Swiss Army player, right? Yeah. Um, I think they use Johnny Wilson almost like as a tight end on third downs, right? That's whom Travis seems to to really love to go to on third downs, almost like a tight end. But the way that that Norvell utilizes Jaheim Bell is just and, and someone else just pointed out this is me on Twitter too. It's it's not just the 12 personnel we're talking about, but they're running 21 personnel looks, right? Two running back looks. Right out of out of with two tight ends, and that's the versatility of how special of an athlete Jaheim Bell is, and what Norvell is going to do with him. And I remember going back to Memphis. Norvell loved to take a receiver and put him back there with a running back, you know. But he's doing the same thing, but with a tight end, and that tight end has that receiver athleticism, but he can also block. And they put him in line and all this other stuff. So between the versatility that that Jaheim Bell and Morlock gives you, it's just going to be a nightmare for defenses. I would expect this offense to put up about 40 points against almost everybody they face, right? And the next uh, best opponent is Clemson in a few weeks. We're going to see how that shakes out. They're going to have Clemson. will have a few more weeks to prepare for this than LSU got. But I just, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. One thing I, I do want to ask you about, John, is is we saw them pick up the running game in the second half. We, we, we saw the adjustments they made and, and how successful that was, but they did struggle on those first three or four possessions t- to get the ball going in terms of in the run game. I, is that concerning at all? Or, or, or do you think that was really just um, kind of just game flow and, and, and Florida state settling in? 
No, I, I don't not long term concern against most of the ACC schedule. I'm no, it's not a concern. I think Bell, I um not Bell, I think Benson was trying to do a little bit too much like Travis early in the game. And again, I think when they had success, it was because they ran away from Wingo. Uh I think it was, you know, they they did shuffle the offensive line around quite a bit, right? They pulled in Ke- uh, Keandre Jones at guard, and then later on, I think they switched out uh, Manuel for Casey Roddick at at guard. So there was some shuffling that went on, especially in the second half, as they tried. To, I think Alex Atkins is still trying to find the guys he re- he really wants, and some of that was re- you know really su- successful in the second half, uh, moving personnel around. But um, I, again, I, I you know one other adjustment I saw this one play. They didn't run it a whole lot, but. You know, after they struggled to run, I think it was sometime early in the second half. One of the very first things they did is instead of pulling the backside guard right on the counter, they ran the same thing, but he pulled the front side guard, going a little bit wider around Wingo, right? A little bit more towards the edge. I think we, I, you know, and I know they tried to test LSU on the edges by throwing out wide with those screens. We've talked about a few times today, uh, but I thought they could have maybe tried to attack LSU a little bit more out wide. I know LSU is fast, too fast for a sweep kind of thing, but whenever they pulled guys they like that front side guard and ran just a little bit off tackle that kind of stuff worked right um again when, when he made that adjustment to to go split back and use bell as a lead blocker by pulling the backside guard and, and uh h back with morlock that was successful you know they popped off eight 12 yards at a time there so no it's it's not anything i'm concerned about long term i think benson's going to be just fine i don't see i mean if you're doing that successfully against lsu with that kind of front I don't see how anyone else in the ACC is going to stop you, aside from Clemson, right? I just don't. There's not enough talent in all the other teams in the ACC to stop you. Um, with Watch what you out have for as Georgia long- Tech, <laughs> yeah. Here as long as you can stay healthy, Rick. right? So as long as FSU stays healthy, guys, there's just—I mean, this is fun. This offense is fun. They are just as talented in the starting eleven as almost anyone in the country. Two other things I wanted to just football nerd out on that, that I thought were questionable coming from the LSU side and the way this game played out. Um, one of the guys that I felt like we talked about a bunch in previewing this game was Harold Perkins. John, they moved him to inside linebacker this season. Brian Kelly talked about it post game that, yeah, he was a step slow today because he's learning a new position and trying to keep up with eye candy. To me, it just cut like they felt like they cut the legs off underneath maybe their best defensive player. Yeah, I thought it was kind of coaching malpractice there. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, look, I get his size, right? He almost has the same size issues as Patrick Payton, right? Where he's a little bit smaller on, I think Perkins is like 220. So I get that he's more linebacker size. If you And this is the problem with playing somebody like Florida State. You, you put him on the edge, right, as an edge defender, right, a, you know, defensive end. FSU is going to run all over him, right? So you can't do that. I get it. What I thought they were going to do is move him around, kind of play him almost like a Leonard Floyd type, where you move him around here and there, kind of, you know, make FSU try to find out or Travis pay attention where he is. And then you just blitz him, try to create these extra gaps where he can shoot a gap and blow up whatever the play is. But they didn't do that. They played him almost exclusively as like an outside linebacker. And I think even when coverage a ton. Like right, that. which is stupid. And I think even when they did try to do some things with him, FSU would have taken out of the game by reading him, like the plays we talked about before, when the one in the goal line where they're reading Perkins, or that same play on the on the fourth and two, where again they put Perkins in that um, you know, they stressed him where whatever one he picked, FSU was gonna make him wrong. He he can't, chose to run up on Travis, so he just lopped it over his head to Toa Feely, who had him going for 45. If Perkins had stayed back to cover Toa Feely, 
Travis is just taking, you know, he's going to get the ball. He's going to get it over the first down anyway. So um, they, you know, FSU did a good job of taking Perkins out of the game whenever I think LSU tried to do anything with him. But for the most part, LSU took Perkins out of the game themselves. And I don't understand why. Ben, my other, my only other football related nerd question here on, on, on the LSU coaching malpractice as we've now referred to it. And I think that's pretty much dead on. Um, they didn't try this FSU defense on the outside at all on the run game. Everything was up the middle. Um, I could hear that they don't have the backs to really test you speed wise, but the only chance they the only time they really did it was when Williams busted that 35 yarder before half. Um, and they've been singing the praises of Anderson, the num- number one, who was the guy who muffed the punt, who was from Bama as this shifty electric. He's like Tyree Hill kind of guy. Uh, and he didn't get one touch on the, he got, he got one reception and didn't get a handoff on the outside at all. They, they did not test this FSU defense on the outside. Yeah, I, I did think that was pretty questionable. And, and honestly, I, I I thought at some point we were going to see them start using more motion, maybe using some jet sort of, you know, things so that they could disrupt the the, the rhythm of that Florida State defense. And they just didn't. They kept running it up the middle, is, is, is your point. <laughs> so about. strange. It, it, very strange. It, so, yeah, I, I, I don't get that. I, I think you know, Florida state is, is really good on the interior and exterior, but I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, LSU's offensive line is really, really good, but they're excellent on the outside. That's really where their strength is. Tackles uh, typically Will Campbell on the left side, especially verse was given Emory Jones on the right side, everything he could handle more, but, but that let's left side of the line, they, they just did not take advantage of that in the way that I expected them to. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's what I kept saying. Like, you know, when I went back and forth on this game, was we'll know very quickly if the LSU offensive line can win snaps. Uh, if it's a back and forth game, will be if those two the the, the FSU D line and LSU O line are going back and forth. Uh, it just felt like the LSU play calling didn't really give any of their strengths on the O line a chance to do much, um, and even then. I mean, it didn't feel like they were winning any. I mean, I even expected maybe some rollouts or just moving the pocket or, like you said, pre-snap motions or or jet sweeps. And it just felt like they were content lining up in a shotgun. And I mean, they were fourth and goal at the one, second and goal at the one, third and goal at the one, and they were running shotgun slant routes and slow developing pick plays. And it's like, okay, so they've... They've just said we're not we are not able to do this. Yeah, I, I think that kind of showed the 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 lack of confidence from from LSU to either be better than FSU's players or for LSU's players to execute. You know, I, I one note that I definitely want to bring up before we get out of here is that you know people bring up all the transfers that Florida State brought in. What about all the transfers that LSU brought in and the fact that they struggled to. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe they struggled to bring those players up to speed and they didn't have the confidence to be able to execute some of those things outside of the basic structure of their offense. Um, but but then on the other side, you fl- you saw Florida State to the exact opposite, where they not only had the confidence in these new transfers, but they empowered their transfer players in, in, in a way that LSU just didn't. Yeah, a couple of things on that front. The, the running back, tra- the, like their biggest offensive transfers – um, maybe the, the biggest one was Logan Diggs running back from Notre Dame a year ago. Um, 
Kelly didn't list him as out, even though he's supposedly doing this injury report thing this year where he's going to be honest with everything. <laughs> I, I, I love it when teams are, are are creating their own injury reports that don't have any rules or requirements well, around. <laughs> why come out and say you're going to do injury reports and then be like, look, we're going to be transparent and be honest. We're going to do injury reports. And then literally the first game you list a dude as, the, as a co-starter, he doesn't take a single snap despite being in uniform. And then when they ask him, after the game, he's like, well, that's a coach's decision. He really wasn't 100% or ready to even practice. So he just wasn't going to play. Well, then why why lie to us the whole time? What's the point yeah. of that? Well, Brian, no. come on. Don't you expect uh, head football coaches to be completely transparent and honest why about even their injury do it? situations? Why, why say we're going to do an injury report to be straight up? And I mean, just you created a construct to lie to me. You, you created a fake construct to, they didn't even exist. You you built a straw house, a straw castle to just be like, isn't this castle great? And then blew it down. And we're like, wasn't that fun for both of us? It's stupid. <laughs> um, but he was out. Um, Anderson's the other one, but I don't think they have any clue how to use him. And, th- and that seemed pretty clear. It, it, he They tried him on kick returns and were just like, just <clears> go. <throat> and he would, kept getting lit up at like the 15. He muffed the only punt he took. He had the one reception for like seven yards where he just kind of got tackled quickly. They didn't hand him the ball at all. They used him as a decoy on the very first play, which I thought was smart because, I mean, you know, he was like the big transfer and it's like, don't let that guy in space. So they used him motioning right and then threw it back to the running back left. Um, I thought that worked well, but they never went back to anything like it. Um, And then I guess maybe on the other run issues like Emory Jones or Emory Jones. Uh, John Emery is their other running back who's suspended for academics. He's kind of their pass catcher, kind of the Toa Feely guy for them. He's been suspended, like, I feel like every season he's been there for academics for at least a couple games. Um, and then they announced before the game Armani Goodwin, who wasn't on the four-deep depth, depth chart, was out as well um, with an injury. The guy who got the start in the first catch and their first touchdown, Trey Bradford, is, again, not on the four-deep at running back that they provided pregame. So, um, yeah, I don't know. A, a lot of weird coaching decisions with with their skill guys, the transfers in, the digs, the Anderson. Um, I, I'm not I'm not quite sure what Brian Kelly was trying to do. But like I said before, uh, he's, he's now officially Mike Norvell's son. The paperwork has been signed, sealed, delivered. <laughs> I believe by the state of Florida, that's officially how it works. I actually um, saw uh, on Twitter, I think someone uh, adjusted Jaden Daniels' Wikipedia. It says he's Jordan Travis's son. <laughs> that's just so unfair, but that's fine. I get it. It's We're all, we're all here for internet humor. Um, yeah, I, I felt like this game, and again, it, to me, it was, it was a Norvell Adkins master class, and Kelly and, and them looked clueless. It, Kelly House and and, and uh, what's it Denbrook over there Denbrock the guy from Cincinnati before they just they just look clueless. Yeah, I one one thing I definitely want to bring up um, just an overall concept we've talked about a lot in the preseason um, was Florida State struggles in those three losses last year. The fact that their offense stalled at times when they just couldn't, and that their defense did not come up to the plate and did not make stops when they needed to. I, I don't have questions about that anymore. I don't have questions about Florida State's offense stalling. And and I think last night was just the perfect embodiment of that. And John, the opposite of last year, they really closed. Like they closed this game. Right. I mean, they had to again, I I, I think I tweeted that out is 
to me, that one section of the game seemed incredibly similar to last year where Florida State gets the ball, they're driving. They have a, you know, they score or, the, you know, they're about to score to put up a two-touchdown lead on LSU, except last year they fumbled at the goal line, and this year they just didn't stop scoring touchdowns. Um, just an unbelievable statement. I mean, they smashed the number five team in the country, and LSU is a good team. They might win the West again and just annihilated them. Absolute dismantling. Yeah, I think everything's in front of you. You you, you can go home tonight, watch Clemson, and, and start your scouting reports. I, I mean, look, I can sit here and pretend like we're going to preview Southern Miss, but if that is even so much as a game, I think all of us will be here next week absolutely floored. <laughs> um, uh, so I think you can start looking ahead to, to that that Clemson-type matchup. Sit here on your Labor Day and put a beer in your hand and, and see what Clemson looks like tonight and, and – Get ready because that that you're going into Death Valley, and I I wouldn't be surprised if you are favored or, or maybe a coin toss pick'em type of game. Yeah, I I have a good question though. As, as we're getting out of here, we're, we're getting ready to end things. Where should Florida State be ranked? Four. Yeah, I'd that's say a, at least yeah, at least five. That's a rough number on my head. I mean, I'm thinking Georgia's going to still be at the top. I can't imagine anyone changes that. Um, Alabama plays Texas this week, so they're going to keep Alabama at least high. I assume they're in the top two or three. Michigan was great this week. Ohio State was okay. I could see you jumping them. Um, who else is yeah. up at the top? LSU is obviously going to fall, so you'll slide up. USC, I have to imagine uh, USC. I could see you maybe around four or five. Yeah, four or five. Four or five makes sense. Yeah. Um, obviously, that also depends on whatever Clemson does tonight. I mean, I, no one, no one is going to have a better win than you had this weekend. You, you will instantly, and you are instantly the talk of college football. You had the standalone Sunday night football game, and you absolutely wiped the floor with the number five team in the country with everyone watching. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you are the the darling of week one of college football. Yeah, yeah, and which is what Colorado. Well, I was yes. say it's wild to do that after what happened with Colorado, and then you made everyone forget about them for a second. I was gonna do well. Jesus, yes. Um, imagine a, a playoff matchup. <laughs> imagine a playoff matchup. I'm just saying it now. Not that it's gonna happen because it's getting a little too far ahead of ourselves. But imagine a Colorado Florida State playoff matchup. We want to talk about electric atmospheres and and uh, pregame stories. And I mean, I don't think that's gonna happen. But you know, just we want to talk about Week One. That that would certainly be a a, a fun scenario. I don't. I don't want to raid on Dion's parade before he calls me out at a post game press conference by name. But um, <laughs> how many times do we watch an NFL season where the guy, like the team, like like the Bears beating the Niners last? You know what I mean? Like like this week one, they come out and they win the game. Yeah. Thanks for that reminder. But yeah, no. Yeah, but then I, you guys I, ended up fine, and the Bears were garbage. Like yeah, no. I mean that's that's totally. You know, week one is 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 not an embodiment of the entire season. Um, funny we're saying that coming off you know, this big floor state win. Um, but no, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, it's, it's week one. TCU looks so bad, but that we're, we're, we're getting away from the plot here, but yeah, I mean, I don't, does this change anyone's perspective? I originally said 11 and one before the year with the loss being to LSU. Obviously that's going to be wrong. Um, but I, I could still, I mean, I'm still going to sit with 11 and one. I just, I'm not going to sit here and tell you 12 and 0 because a bump and a bruise here and then things change. Um, I'm going to stick there. Any, anyone, Chair to Alter, I think we all went eleven and one, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, I'm I'm not changing eleven and one. I mean, they, they'll probably still stumble at some point. Um, it's weird because you have the regular season. I expect this team to play in the ACC title game, and it's probably going to be Clemson, although it could be North Carolina. 
Um, if they do end up playing Clemson twice, I think they drop one of those games. I just can't tell you which one it'll be. Uh, so, I mean, I, I level on regular season, you know, they, they could somewhat get somebody like Pitt, right? Uh, you know, somebody who's a pretty good team, but you maybe they just don't have it that day. I, I do expect them, for the most part, to put up 40 points against everybody, except maybe Clemson. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. I actually think they're going to beat Clemson twice this year, so maybe I disagree slightly. But I agree with your last point. I, I think there's one loss. It's uh, Right now, if I had to pin it, it's – like you mentioned that game at Pitt in November, I, I believe that, that, that could be tough. Um, I also think Duke is a lot better than, than people realize. And they're going to be reminded of that tonight. So I, you know, I, I think an injury here or there against the wrong matchup, you could see Florida state stumble, but besides that, I, I don't really see how this team loses. Yeah. I, I feel like that's pretty much hard to disagree with when you look at, even if you were to take away a weapon here or there, um, you you kind of still have the guys to continue doing it, whether it's it's Trey, it's it's Johnny, it's Keon, it's Jaheim. I mean, when you're going that deep on quote unquote game breaking playmakers, and you still haven't gotten to the quarterback, that's pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah. good. Also, did we even see Kentron Portier last night? I don't think we did. I can check the participation chart. I got it in front of me. Hold I, on. Yeah, I was gonna say. Let me go. Ch- I've I've PFF up. I can check snap count. Um. Let me see. This is going to be a really fun year. Yeah, it right. Really it really. I, I just please just stay healthy, right? Just stay healthy. Yeah, that's all I can ask for. Whatever happens after this, just be healthy and fun. That's yeah, it. So, so Kentron didn't record snap. That's that's per PFF. But yeah. And, and for those of you, just uh, before we get out of here, to, to quick shout it out. I, I we we who listen to Sharpen the Point. Thank you to those of you who do listen to the DFS College Football Pod. We. We went pretty in-depth on this LSU-Florida State game as a DFS game itself, and uh, the lineup that I gave you on the show uh, ended up winning the contest last night. So it was a, a, a $3 to $175 or wherever you played it. Um, Jaheim, Ken, Keon, um, Toa Feely, Jordan Travis, Jane Daniels, and Brian Thomas. That that group won a bunch of tournaments last night. So if if you followed, there you go. If you're interested in joining along, uh, dropping on Friday, go ahead and give it a listen. Welcome in. Also, just you know, me personally, I got to give myself a pat on the back. Keon Coleman first touchdown, eleven to one odds. Yeah, I, like <laughs> I bet we. So when he scored, the uh, the mentions on our Twitter account blew up on everyone who had eleven to one. Every everyone was was celebrating in the in the replies. Um, <laughs> anything? Any final thoughts before we get out of here? You guys just want to berate me or like war chant me out the room or something or like. Well, I'm going to try and see if this this audio this audio play. Through. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's try it. Well, I would say um, that you, I would say that you, uh, um, you know, don't pick against FSU, Brian Kelly, again, because Norvell coaches circles around him. And uh, I hope we don't ever play Brian Kelly again. I can't stand the guy, but uh Norvell, like you said, absolutely owns him. And I would say, you know, I'd ask for an apology for you picking LSU, but you did you did serve a 10-minute suspension, which was hilarious. And then you came in uh like a like a wrecking ball. <laughs> I did for the record, I did pick Florida State plus two and a half. That is true. I did take that him plus true. two and a half. So I mean, I said maybe like a field goal at the end. Someone's got the ball with a chance to win it. I'm thinking like a point or two. So I mean, at least there's that. It's on the record, published last Friday in case you were curious <laughs> but yeah but definitely I, definitely didn't go that way 
Anyway, my, my last thoughts, uh, it's going to be a fun, fun year. Uh, I hope everyone has, uh, sits down for, for every game. Cause it's, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Clear out your Saturdays. Now call your friend, tell them you're not coming to the wedding. The Knolls are playing and we're watching the scoreboard get lit up. This is the season. We are here for a fun year. So, um, God, I looking at the both of you, the smiles are enormous today. Just John and Ben just grinning ear to ear. So I'm sure you are at home as well. Thank you as always for listening for the Seminole Wrap. I'm Brian with Ben and John. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Can't spell LSU without the L. That'll definitely stay in. <laughs> oh yeah. Or postscript. Oh.